but I never ever had an intention of working it. Getting ambitious and achievable. I think everybody got a stretch target to the point where we were a bit like, oh, why not? What happened? You and we it. splashed it again. Because yeah. yeah. I've worked for some horrendous people and some really good people. And I learn as much from the bad ones as the yeah. good ones. The opportunities, like, so it's a bit more than just business. They, you know, they, they started off with a company car, company phone, absolute proper setup from, from the get go that, yeah. you know, for any 18 year old to be driving around in a, you know, brand new Peugeot and things like that would be like, wow, happy days. But the upshot is if you're not up to it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't last. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm the digital director at Spectrum Group. Spectrum Group's mission in life is to unlock the potential of your people. And we do that through three things, hardware, software, and expertise. Welcome to our podcast. Today, I'm joined by my normal colleagues, John and Neil. I'm also joined by our very special guest, Rob Cavill, who's the MD of Spectrum Group. We're gonna be talking to Rob about loads of stuff, his principles that he uses to run the business, his philosophy on people and culture, and we'd be touched on some relatively new stuff around Elon Musk's recent email and getting his views on that. So remember, like, share, subscribe. And with all that said, welcome to Tomorrow's Workplace Today. So I think we're going to be on best behavior <laughs> today, Neil and John. Uh, we've got a special guest with us. Mr. Rob Cavill, also the, the, the MD of, of Spectrum Group. We couldn't get the chairman, could we? So we had to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah second best. Age over beauty and all that. Um, so I'll just I'll hand over to Rob just to give a quick sort of 30 second introduction to you, for those that don't know you, if that's all right. Okay. So I'm Rob, Managing Director, IT at Spectrum. Nice to meet you, Rob. And I said IT at Spectrum. You Jeez. did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't okay. you change that? I joined as Managing Director of IT at Spectrum. Mm. Now, I started Spectrum in 2016, originally to oversee the final stages of the build of this place, this building. So my background is a legal background with some construction thrown in. So I was quite well placed to oversee the build, get it finished on time and on budget. They then offered me a job and I started with marketing, sorted a few bits out there and got it slightly better than where it was before handing it over again. Then I got into ops uh, management, so operations manager, ops director then. And then in 2019, I uh, became MD. So I've been here five and a bit years, three years of which I've been managing director. Excellent. So. Just in time to be, uh, just in time for the global pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Here's the, right, yeah. here's the hot seat. Yeah. You yeah. really did get like thrown in there. That was uh, yeah. Like Boris, similar, similar time and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think yeah, you're no, faring better. Yeah, so. But yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a good three years. I've uh, I spent most of the first year, probably first eighteen months, really looking at the management team, trying to surround myself with great people, um, which I've done. And uh, yeah, the next the next year after that was sort of coming up with growth plans, but all in the uh, the environment of COVID, which wasn't particularly helpful to our business. We've still, nevertheless, had a good couple of years terms of performance which is ultimately what i'm here to deliver for the shareholders Stuff. Uh, yeah so right. tell for those listeners watchers that aren't familiar with the business or particularly detailed way to tell us about the business and the different elements to it because mm -hmm. there's lots of elements to the business isn't there? yeah so as a as a technology group we've got various arms to the business what i'd say the bread and butter is and the the historical part of the business it's been 
um, there ever since we began in 1983 is the print business, the Spectrum Print. We are a reseller of Canon's hardware, copiers, photocopiers, printers, um, wide format machines, large format machines, pro print, all sorts of anything you want to print paper on, we can, we can sell. And we've been a Canon partner since 1983, as I said. We're a platinum partner, which is as high as it gets in terms of their accreditations. Albeit, I say as high as it gets, there is there is one beyond that, which is Canon Business Centre status, which we're proud to be the only Canon Business Centre in the UK. Um, that is an initiative that is popular across Europe, but relatively new in the UK. And that is where Canon need to service uh, their customers or want to increase market share in parts of the country where their direct operation doesn't necessarily operate. So we act on the face of it to the public as if we are Canon in the north of England, essentially. So that's the bread and butter of our business. It's probably 80% of our turnover um, and is a successful part of the business, albeit one on a different trajectory to the to the digital side, which is obviously where you, you boys are. Steve heading that up with the help of sales coming in from you too. So yeah, digital side, as I'm sure you've talked about on many a podcast, automating business processes, making life easier for people. Yep. Um, the other parts of our business, we have a rentals business, which is our in-house equipment and software finance function. So we can um, we can act as a finance company essentially for some of our customers uh, where they can lease and rent equipment or projects from us. Okay. Um, then within the group, there is the one point, which is the IT and telecoms, mobile phones, IT support, uh, VoIP part of the business. So that's run separately from us, but it's nevertheless an important part of our group. Then there's some subsidiaries there. Think360, which is an automation consultancy business, a small one with their own um, pieces of software, which is great. And then N3i, which is the business that looks after uh, NHS clients within IT support. So it's quite varied, but it's all about technology. It's a big technology family, as it were. Um, and that's the gist of it. But in terms of my remit, I'm Spectrum Print, Spectrum Digital, Spectrum Rentals, uh, and I leave the IT and telecoms to other people. Good stuff. So if you look at those, <clears throat> the, the two, the print side of the business and the digital side of the business, you, you could say that they're competitors in a way, because mm -hmm. essentially one is trying to stop <clears throat> or helping to stop an organization print more. Yep. So how do you as an MD that's, that has ownership for both of those businesses, how do you manage that? Yeah, what so, challenges does that bring? So we diversified into the digital probably 10 years ago. Um, and then we've tried to light a fire under it in the last couple of years, bringing you in. Um, and we've really seen the sales skyrocket as a result. And you've developed the team around you to deliver those projects. Um, but that was brought in or we diversified into that because we recognized there was potentially going to be a decline in print. And we were speaking to more and more businesses that wanted to digitize what they were doing, print less. And so we thought, well, we need to be able to cater for those guys as well. So we can cater for both sides, but as you say, arguably can compete with one another. We'll say if anyone's got a problem with paper, information and data, we can, we can talk to either of them. If you want to print more, we can help. If you want to print less, we can help. So we can cater for everyone. Um, and as I mentioned earlier in the sort of intro, um, the trajectory of both departments is upwards, mm. albeit a slightly different degrees or angles. So print for us 
I want to grow it and we will grow it. We've got to sell more in order to stand still because print volumes are declining, prices have been squeezed, supply chains are nightmare. Um, so selling more to stand still and then selling a hell of a lot more in order to grow. So how do we grow? Well, we grow the sales team. We bring in young people and grow our sales team in that way. And then through acquisition is our other route to growing our market share in the print side of, side of the business. So we're continuing along those lines. And then in the digital side of the business, what can we do to grow? Again, growing the sales team. What acquisitions could we explore? But that's naturally a market where the demand is increasing anyway. Okay. So we've got a trajectory like that in print and I want one like that in digital. As I know, yeah. As <laughs> I remind you most mornings. You touched there about recruitment and bringing kind of youth into the business, which mm. is something you've, you've done a lot of. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of businesses listening to this thinking, I need to get talent into my organisation. And it's a difficult to do that, as we know at the minute. So yeah. how, how have you approached that? How has the business approached that? Yeah, so my a bit of my mantra, I guess, or it's a, a strap line, whatever you want to call it, is to become an employer of choice. I've got it written on my board behind me, along with all my other strap lines. Mm. Um, and what I mean by employer of choice is I want young people in the region and probably across the wider region and across the UK and certainly in the digital business, coming out of school, college, uni, and thinking, I want to work for Spectrum. Because those of you, and it's probably only you, mm. Neil, that grew up around Hull, because we, we, we didn't. But knowing the region, I can imagine a school leaver in, in the whole region coming out thinking, I want to work for BAE or Ricketts or yeah. Arco, Smith, Smith and Nephew or whatever, yeah. yeah. And those big names, as big corporates where there's a really good scheme for young people, great apprenticeship programme or graduate programme, whatever it is. And they're the names and they'll get hundreds and thousands of applicants each year, I can imagine. Because when I um, left uni or on the verge of leaving uni, I was looking in this geographic location mm. for those kind of roles. And you see those same names. I think I applied for BAE and mm. and I think Sainsbury's, albeit different location. But um, I see us as developing that, um, that status to be an attractive place to work. And how do we do that? Well, we shout about it. These podcasts, maybe not particularly right in terms of the audience of being young people, mm. but um, Certainly a lot of the other social media stuff we're doing and different Could platforms. Could be the parents though, again, I mean, mm. we'd had it quite a few times, didn't we, with uh, the campus that we ran. Literally, it was quite a lot of their parents knew of us as a business, yeah. dealt with us or were, were customers of ours. And it was their sort of children that thought, actually, yeah. We, and that, yeah, that, that goes, <clears throat> that recommendation, if, you, if your mum and dad say, actually, yeah, these are a good company, I think you should go and have an have a interview there yeah. or go and apply at least. And it's uh, that's a good... But yeah, touch on the campus thing because I think that one from a from a recruitment strategy is a slightly different angle or different take on it, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I'll come to the parents, uh, the importance of sort of wooing the parents with campus in a minute because the campus program was uh, it was an idea that came on the back of our difficulty in recruiting salespeople. So we see sales applicants and we look down the list of sales people that we've employed in the last three four five years and i'm thinking i don't know 80 percent of them are not here anymore because something's gone wrong either they're not up to it we're not right for them they're not right for us one reason or another they're they're not with us and then we look at the list of people that have succeeded that have come from 
different backgrounds um, that don't have necessarily the baggage that we were experiencing with others. And we thought growing our own could be a potential better route to success. And so we embarked on this mission to um, get as many people as possible apply and try and narrow them down a bit like X Factor used to do, where they'd have a boot camp or they'd have a yeah, day yeah. when they say, you lot stand forward, you lot step back, right? you lot go on, mm-hmm. you lot are through to the next round. And so we did that. And we had a couple of hundred applicants first time round, and this was in 2019 for um, the campus program, which is a professional sales selling skills program. But for all intents and purposes, it's, it's like a salesperson apprenticeship. And if you're a parent of a child of an age 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, which I am, um, I think it's easy for a parent to be slightly concerned if the son or daughter says, I want to be a copier salesman. So it's not, it's got, it's got baggage. It's got um, sort of a bit of a taboo about it, whatever you might call it. Sort of on a par with double glazing salespeople. Yeah. So we had a job on to try and convince people, A, that we were a good place to work and that we were good people and a good employer. And B, that the, the program we were putting them through was around business and um, creating well-rounded young people with, with really good selling skills and, well, just business skills in general. So we, we had a couple of hundred applicants. We held recruitment day where we had, I think, 20 or so of uh, these young people attend. We sent some home at lunchtime and we narrowed it down and eventually we took on eight. We, we set out to take on six. There were eight um, who, were, who were strong enough for us to, to take on a couple more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we set out with the hope that if we got one out of six, mm-hmm. it would be a worthwhile exercise. But it's a costly exercise because eight people at that age um, over the course of they've been with us. Well, it probably took them 18 months to qualify, as it were, because COVID sort of it came in at the wrong time, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, so they, they lost sort of a good chunk of time there. But we we, we ended up with four, as you know. So um, we wanted one, ended up with four. And now we've got four great, smart young people that are now out there with their own targets about a year's worth of targets, so and they hit the target. They did, yeah. They hit the so as we do with you boys, we yeah. put the target up, yeah, and, <laughs> and reset the clock to zero, and away they go again. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting program. But I just cast our minds back to once we'd offered them six, sorry, eight people the jobs. We had, I mean, without wishing to treat them as kids, we had we had effectively some kind of parents' evening where we invite the parents in <clears throat> to meet me, to meet Ken, our chairman, sales directors, part of the sales, other, other members of the sales team, just to try and convince them that we're a safe a pair of hands. Outfit. We're not just some tin pot outfit. We're not just wheeler dealer, double glazing salespeople. We're a proper outfit. So they welcomed them in here, fed them, wined them, dined them, and convinced them that um, they should back us with recruiting their, their child. So. That worked well. It was an important part. Of it. And it's something we're doing again. Something we're doing again. We we committed probably within six months of the first round to go again with another cohort. Um, and this 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 current campus recruitment program covers both the whole based office and the northeast. Yeah. As well. So casting the net further geographically, but it's challenging. It's mm. we've not had the number of applicants that we had the first time. Why do you think that is? 
Um, I think I think COVID for people of that age, COVID has created a huge amount of anxiety, concern, hesitancy, um, uh, just general uncertainty about what the world's doing and what mm. they should be doing. In the yeah. Moment. And I, I, as like I say, I've got a son that age, or he's 17, so he's a bit younger, but do I, does he know what he wants to do in a year or two's time? Did COVID affect him when he's stuck in his bedroom all day? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's played a huge part in it. I think there's a nervousness. Mm. Yeah, do, take you, do you think maybe the I don't know now it's opened up a bit do you think maybe they've, they've done an extra college course or university course that they maybe wouldn't have done or they've maybe delayed that going into the workplace to sort of mm. give them that buffer in time to sort of think and figure things out or yeah quite possibly but that's the thing <clears throat> the the quality of sat in the bedroom playing Call of Duty well yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah sponging off on my dad <laughs> <laughs> but but the quality of of the first cohort you know the, the graduates if you if you want you know was was really good was strong very eclectic mix of you know we've got university leavers we've got school leavers etc um and to watch their journey and granted for two years it was mainly over teams meetings on a friday when we were doing your quizzes mm -hmm. but 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 in all seriousness the opportunities like so it's a bit more than just business i think because we've taught them life skills as well you know negotiation things like that but actually, some of them at their first car, my first car was a clapped out Escort, going back a bit, mm -hmm. don't bring age into it, yeah. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they, they started off with a, a company car, you know, nice company phone, laptop, everything, you know, the real things that, you know, the absolute proper setup from, from the get-go that, yeah. you know, for any 18-year-old to be driving around in a, you know, brand new Peugeot and things like that would be like, wow, happy days. And you get all of those life skills business skills that you know should down the line it not necessarily right you've learned some really good skills that whatever career path you take i think yeah. we, we change your, I think the business lent from the mistakes like you say in terms of recruiting people that had been in a similar sort of photocopying role you know the like journeymen that bounce around different sort of copier dealerships and come with a bit of like you say baggage and it's like we expect them people to sort of come in you've got i don't know a month to canvas, month to crack mm. on. If you don't hit your target, you're out type scenario. Those guys, yeah, obviously got found out pretty quickly. Whereas we've changed, completely changed tack with these guys. They've got a longer period, but we've had to sort of build it up and mold them yeah. and change and create that environment for success for them. Get them into our ethos, into our mentality, the way we, we sell, the way we do business, where we treat our customers. And, and they don't know anything else. So we've literally mm. had to start from, and like you said, it, Ironically, I was thinking about the team that we've got now. Literally, I think every single one of us has either have come from a different industry and had to learn from the bottom up. This is Matt. Matt is a finance director. And this is Matt's team. Day after day, they trudge through endless stacks of paperwork like mindless zombies. But luckily for Matt and his team, Things are about to get a lot better. Since Spectro has digitized their documents, there's no need for physical copies and duplicates to clutter up the office. And with a fleet of Spectro bots to take care of the mundane, Matt's team have changed the game. Don't waste the potential they've got. Get them a robot with Spectrum. Tomorrow's workplace today.
so I know you gave us a little bit potted history of your yeah. Spectrum background. Okay, so I I grew up with Spectrum, Spectrum copiers as it was, and it was it, it was founded a year before I was born. So I've known nothing else in terms of hearing stories from Kitchen my parents. Table and stuff. Exactly, yeah. So I've grown up with toner in the blood, as it as somebody once <laughs> said. But I never ever had an intention of working it, and I sort of actively pursued other things. Mm. So I went to to college and um, did a did law at A level, and my law tutor said, "If you want to become a solicitor, don't do a law degree," which sounded a bit odd at the time, and then I understood it. And he, what he meant was get some other experience, do another degree, so a business-related degree, because um, it makes you more well-rounded. And then you do extended courses to convert it to law, graduate diploma in law and legal practice course. So I went off and did, went do my own thing in, in uni um, and then went to law school and all that and started as a lawyer. So training with a firm of solicitors in Lincoln, decent-sized firm. Um and then within, I think I probably practiced in law five years or so. Was it employment? Was it employment like? Yeah, so yeah. I ended up specialising in employment law, and then I worked in a construction business as their in-house lawyer. Um, so again, no, I, no, I wasn't looking over my shoulder at Spectrum or looking over the fence at Spectrum. I was on my own path. path. Oh. Yeah, and um, got as as the legal stuff started to die down in construction, thankfully, because I was I joined as an employment lawyer in a time of recession in construction. So there was a lot to do in terms of restructuring and people and what have you. Um, that died down, probably got bored of the law, to be fair. And then that's what led me into just general operations management, business management, which is which is the real grounding for my role now. I mean, the legal bit's handy every now and again, but I've sort of left that behind. It's only by chance that in 2016, uh, a family event where Ken was in attendance that he first sort of floated this idea that he was looking for a successor. And so we had to tread real carefully to see whether it could possibly be me or not, or whether it was a non-starter. Hence why when I first joined, it was on a consultancy basis to see if it was going to be a car crash or whether I was any good, but I'd had good jobs elsewhere off my yeah. bat. So, mm. um, I'd sort of built up that credibility, I guess, enough for Ken to give me a trial. And that's when I came in and joined and proved myself. So there's no nepotism. Um, I, I guess the fact that he knew me is helpful, but I think it'd be doing a disservice to the shareholder, the main shareholders, my dad, my uncle, and to Ken, if they just recruited any old bugger just because of his surname. So, uh, yeah, well, you've got your. That's my the, difference. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the credentials. Yeah, but then. When you came in, like you, you mentioned earlier, you worked in different departments and, and you had that generally skill set backed up with the, the HR law. Because again, we're dealing with people all day long. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have... It's helpful. It's definitely helpful. And um, there's contracts of employment, there's contracts that we have with business. Uh, so you've got to be able to read that yeah. in it as a businessman. And then, like you say, the operational thing. I think, like you say, Ken was looking for someone that had those sort of skill sets across the board as yeah, opposed to a specialist. In, in a, yeah, because you've got... Because we had... And we still have great yeah. specialist sales directors and service finance and things like that. Mm. Um, but they're just amazing at what they do. And that's all we want them to do. Yeah. Whereas I am a bit more of a generalist. I've never sold anything. I've never fixed a machine. 
or anything like that. We discussed not, that in Munich, not didn't we? Yeah. Do you remember, was it Madrid one yeah. or the other? I'm not particularly techie either. So um, it is just that general business management. And a lot of my learning comes from, I guess I was a bit of a job hopper, to be honest, prior to settling here. This is the longest job I've ever had by some way. Right. And um, why did I've you learned move on so much. Jobs? Why, why was you a... I guess this is this probably does come from my dad and 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 some of the success my my dad's had with this with Spectrum originally and then other things. Um, I guess it, you know, because it, he's it's been successful and it probably strengthens my ambition. Yeah. So I always had always had one eye on getting a slice of the pie and a bit of equity in a business and and being a leader in that sense. So that that spurred me on because some jobs weren't offering that. Mm. So I take a leap in order to find those opportunities. Mm. Um, but in doing so, I've had good experiences and bad experiences, which I think is really valuable because mm. I've worked for some horrendous people and some really good people. And I learn as much from the bad ones as the yeah. good ones, mm. as how not to be as well as yeah, what you can take. More from the bad what ones. are you calling horrendous then? I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying. <laughs> not, not individual, but what, what, <laughs> what are the, the traits... That you you would consider horrendous. Well, leader. I think there's there's people management. I like to think that we're a great place to work because we look after our people and we mm. care about our people and we care about them as individuals. You know, we know everybody's name and we know their partner's name and we know where they live and what they like to do outside of work mm. and what floats their boat in work and what motivates them and incentivizes them and all this. And so we have a bespoke approach, I guess, a precision approach to each of our staff members, whereas I've worked for people that don't have that and you're either just a number or, or you're treated in a proper machine. old school 70s and 80s type way right. that you can mm. picture in a movie with, yeah. mm. um, you know, a guy in a three-piece suit and ordering mm. his people around. It's just, that isn't what motivates and inspires Gen, y, Gen Z and, um, mm. and millennials. I think, I think that maybe the catalyst for change, which can openly admit it was the move to this building yeah. it was open plan we've gone from a, a very sort of 90s building from yeah, the other one to this and, and mm. then all of a sudden we've gone to yeah from like you said departmental very sectioned off the old offices and now we're going to yeah modern open plan and it's yeah i think that's part of it and it's that openness of not only the way the, the environment we work in and the way we the way we dress and the way we communicate there's a much more openness now i'll and happily share as well, togetherness yeah. on Togetherness, well. yeah. There's a, the diversity has definitely changed as well in terms of um, ethnicity, in terms of, of, of uh, yeah, everything really, of, mm. of, of, of religion, of, of all sorts. And, and like you say, we've op it's opened arms really. We've just sort of, yeah. And it's it's right all about people, skills and employing the good people, isn't it? Yeah. And and so going back to that employer of choice thing, there's, an, there's a, another bits of learning that I've done along the way. And I'm not a huge reader of books, um, I, I I sometimes find that if you read a book a day or a book a week, like a lot of people do, sometimes the ideas can get jumbled and you end up not doing anything. And I've kind of read one or two books, Good to Great being one of them, Jim Collins, mm. and like honed in on applying those principles mm. before then reading another book rather than just saying, yeah, yeah there was some good stuff in there and then forget about it. I've read yeah, some yeah. immense stuff and then I tried to apply it. So getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, all mm. these kind of things. Being patient when it comes to recruitment. 
only recruiting quality people. It's all around the people. That's all I've really focused on for three years. Mm. And that's part of the culture. And another guy I've learned from is the, if he's the CEO of InBev, which is the big brewing company that runs, I think Budweiser, mm. um, he's part of their group. And there's a line in a in an article he wrote in the newspaper and it said something along, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, it's, this isn't an easy place to work, but if you're good and you fit in, it's a great place to work. And that kind of epitomizes us, I think, in a way, because it's not easy. We've got really high standards. We've got quality people, high standards. Yes, it's relaxed and we're flexible with working and things like this. But the upshot is if you're not up to it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't last. And, and what I think again, it was out of good to great. If I've, if I've made changes with staff members, people say, oh, you're ruthless. Mm. And I say, I'm not actually ruthless. I'm rigorous. And there's a difference. Yeah. So yeah. I say rigorous rather than ruthlessness because the rigor is to, is to do something about it. It's to recognize there's an issue with say it's an yeah. employee or an you leave, individual. A, leave a bad apple in there too long, yeah. it can have so much devastating disruption. Yeah. It's, it's so being brave to enough to it. move on. So culture-wise, I think it's a great place, to, I'm biased, it's a great place to work. We we enjoy ourselves, we reward people well, we enjoy good social things and, and what have you. Um, it's a great environment to work in. We're doing exciting stuff. We're making boring stuff exciting because print and things like that are relatively dull but we make it exciting enough we've done well enough to attract a lot of talent a lot of young talent um but i think everybody recognizes at the same time that it's not necessarily an easy place to work because i've got like i say we've got high standards yeah just, just tell there's one sorry beat you to it there john <laughs> you, you uh you have different sayings like ambitious and achievable with yeah. one that you put in place. And I think... I sound like I'm full of like phrases. But again, but if well, anything, just phrase book. I, yeah. I, like, I don't mind because again, they're, they're quite short and sweet. It tells you how it is, but then it had quite a big impact on the sales, especially mm. in the last 18 months, for example, because we had the best year ever. And then you went, all right, let's go again. Ambitious and achievable. And I think everybody got a stretch target to the point where we were a bit like, oh, hang on. What happened? Smashed and we it. smashed it again. Yeah. yeah, we had another best year ever. So it was, um, yeah. That so ambitious and achievable, because the, the two have to work in harmony. I could be ambitious and say, I want you to do a million pound a day. Well, it's unachievable. It's nonsense. Or I could be unambitious and say, I want you to do a tenner a day. So I, I want ambition, but that's reachable, yeah. but still stretched. Just on your tiptoes, just yeah. Get, just a little bit higher. And if you've proven, you can do it. Because yeah. when we've reset targets again from last month, You've proven that you can do those numbers. We stretched them a bit, and I know you can do them again. And it's been proven over the last 13 months that you've absolutely smashed the uh, last year. So if I take you back a couple of minutes. So you said, um, so on the ambitious and achievable, but you said that you've obviously had quite a, a focus on changing the culture and, um, you know, flexibility working yeah. home. So. Perfect segue. This mm, <laughs> touching on what one. Elon Musk said some early early point of this week. Obviously, we have done a, a pod that will be coming out around that. But what's your view on what he said around? He wants everyone, senior managers especially, in yeah, in the office, visible all the time. I kind of know the answer, but I, do I'm, you? I'm, what well, do you think, Manzu? No, no, I'll let you answer it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I can see where he's coming from. I get it, and it sounds he's mega controversial with it because it's is his blunt 
and to the point. Now he's in the beauty of the position that he's running Twitter in. This. It was Twitter related, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to Tesla, was that right? No, yeah, well, it was on no, Twitter, but it was about Tesla. Tesla. It was oh, about Tesla. Sorry, yeah, forgive right, me. Yeah. He's buying Twitter, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was about the Tesla. Tesla. Yeah, it was about the Tesla employees. He's in the fortunate position where Tesla is an employer of choice. Mm. He hasn't yeah. got a problem recruiting talent. All he has to do is put a job ad out, say Tesla, and he'll have a queue of people. Mm. So within reason, he can, in my view, he can say controversial things knowing that he's not going to have a mass walkout. He could still pick the best talent. Now, we're not at that level. We don't have that status. And so I would never say something as controversial as, right, everybody back in Monday morning, mm. working from home, he's dead. Nor do I want it to be. What I'd like to see is a better balance. Um, and it's almost, we talk about hybrid working, which is spend some time in the office, work from home, and it's flexible. What I think we lose is, and it, I hate the phrase, it's like a very cheesy one, but like water cooler moments. Mm. Except I don't like that phrase, ain't on my board. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's some truth, I firmly believe, in the collaboration opportunity of being in the same building at the same time. I encourage um, our teams, my team, to talk to one another often. I say to our service director, just stick your head in the sales guy's door every day. Mm. Even if you've not got an agenda or anything specific to talk about, I guarantee that if you stuck your head in the door, how are you doing? They'll say, oh, have you got a minute? Mm. And a 15-minute conversation will happen about a couple of relevant points. You need to walk out with something to do, business-related, an an exaction. Um, And that doesn't happen when you're at home. It just fundamentally can't. And another challenge we have, so whilst we're flexible and we can say work from home when you like, um, I worry that someone will say, well, I'll be in the office every... I might come in on Wednesday next week or I might come in Wednesday, Thursday. But if their colleagues have thought, well, I'll come in Monday, Tuesday, then we're still they're still missing one another, mm-hmm. and they're passing like ships in the night. So this that's hybrid working. There's almost a hybrid of hybrid, which is where and I read it recently, where some businesses are saying there are fixed days on which you are expected to be in the office, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time either be in the office if you like or be at home. Mm. So we might say that every Monday, Friday, or whatever days you choose, that is everybody in the office day was. At a, uh, a speaking event where this lady was educating us on the the mindset of certain generation, different generations. So focusing in on millennials and Gen Z. So, I mean, I'm borderline a millennial. Anyway, you probably are. What is Yeah, eighty one. He's a millennial. Um, I think eighty one's the cop. So, Cheers. if he put us aside and go like twenty five and younger, we've, we've got a lot of people in that age bracket. Um, the mental health impact on those kind of people is great mm. because they're missing collaboration, they're missing connectivity or connection, they're missing that social side. Yeah. Um, and they can benefit hugely. And they're, and they're the and they're the worst. And I'm this isn't a criticism of our people. This is a research based thing. They're the worst communicators when it comes to just just generally, because the social media led and that's the way they've been brought up. And they are statistically and statistically, statistically speaking, and as the research suggests, the worst at communicating. If you said to them, just pick up the phone, you know, there's that aversion towards that. 
Yeah. Um, or even speak to your manager, like asking for help. Sometimes yeah. I think I think especially um, you have to have a number of years learning your job to to understand the discipline to put structures and systems and things in place to to have that self discipline to to actually you know what you need to do in what order to get the desired outcome that needs to happen, especially from a sales perspective. And I, and again, I remember being new here and it was like didn't know what to do for best. You knew it was like, yeah, get really busy and get active and okay, yeah, go and speak to loads of people and do this, do that. And it was sometimes I'd be spinning my wheels and be like getting frustrated. And and if you don't see the end in sight, it's like, oh, is, is it really for me? Is it? And then you start doubting yourself and you can very quickly, especially from a- Spiral. Yeah, you can um. spiral. So you need your team around you. You need some of the wiser sort of older heads around you. You need the, the managers around you to sort of cook you. Because again, it's, it's difficult. You're going to get a lot of rejection. You're going to get, you're, you got, you've you got that rough and smooth. Because again, on top of the world, when you get the deal, and then obviously if it goes the wrong way, you feel, and I think you're right, those, that generation specifically, you could maybe say they don't have as tough a skin. They maybe haven't experienced the knockbacks and they things like that. They needed to. They haven't living at home the different life. Mom and yeah. Dad. They've yeah. not had to. Well, it's not their fault. They're just inexperienced because of their age. Mm. Um, so just going back to the Elon Musk thing I think in principle I get why he's saying it I think he's took it a step further in terms of his bluntness I think he can afford to take that step as I said for the reasons around who they are and I think I'm one step back I'd absolutely love to see more people in the office more often mm. um, because I, I can fundamentally see the benefits of it but equally I'm flexible and I'd be hypocritical if as, a, as the MD I was draconian when it comes to people needing to be flexible because I've got family like most of us and some days it's sports day and some days it's parents evening and some days, you know, my daughter's at the doctor or my son's got a football match or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I need to be there as a dad first and foremost and as a husband. So um, if I need to nip off and leave a bit early, then I'd be hypocritical if I was critical of anyone else doing the same. So... um, yeah, I like the flexibility, and that's certainly a shift from the pre-me culture Definitely. here. Um, but then COVID has fast-forwarded it so much. Okay. I think some businesses are uh, – I think I heard about uh, Cisco, the telecoms business, that have gone full fat, closing offices, mm. and everyone at home. And I bet you they'll be regretting it mm. soon enough. I think there's lots of businesses – reverting back on that yeah. policy that they probably brought in 18 months ago yeah. and realising they're missing something. And I've, I made a note this morning for our next board meeting because I want to discuss it as a board. Are we comfortable as a board with the current arrangements around mm. working from home? And largely, yeah. What can we do to tweak it, fine-tune it, make yeah. it slightly better? I want to ask you about another one of your sayings because I, I walked into your office a couple of months ago and again on the back of your whiteboard was scribbled what I thought was some sort of Japanese proverb. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll let you explain it. So STOADZAI. Yes, it's just an acronym. So when I look back on what I've done here in just three years and a lot of the changes we made um, when I first joined, and I continue to do it now, is all I think I've ever done is state the obvious. And Ken once said to me, I think it was when he informally interviewed me and I met him in a, hub somewhere 
uh, in Hull um, in the summer of 2016. And he said, what are you going to do with marketing once you start the marketing, if this project goes well with the building, what are you going to do? And I said some real obvious stuff. We needed some case studies because we had two. Mm. We needed to revamp the website. Some real basic, we needed a CRM, like three obvious things. Mm. And he said, well, anybody can tell me that. I said, yeah, but why ain't it happened? Because <laughs> nobody's done anything about it. So STOADZAI is an acronym for state the obvious and do something about it. And there's no magic trick to what I do or the way I work. I just get on with stuff. And to me, it's baffling how easy it is because all I've done is say what everyone else is thinking. So, I don't know, when we brought backs in um, last year, you know, we need, to, we need to do something special with marketing. We need to do something different. We need to be more famous and we want better, more lead generation, better brand awareness. If you ask my wife what, whether Stoad's eye is a good thing or a bad thing, it's probably quite irritating at home <laughs> because it means I'll just get on with stuff. Mm. I look out the window and the, the, um, there was a tree or edge or whatever needed cutting. And it's like eight o'clock at night. What time does it get dark? And I'm like, right, I'll do it now. And she's <laughs> like, you're mental, just chill out. You've got a long day at work. Why are you doing it now? Well, the tree needs cutting. So I'm stating the obvious. We all know the tree needs cutting, um, but um, I've got this weird mindset where I'll do something about it, but it's irritating. I nearly did the exact same thing until my wife was like, no, no, we have neighbours. You're not doing a petrol mower at 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. There's that. I'm like, what? I'm going to use cancel headphones. I'll just crack minute, on. Yeah. Next minute, she look out the window and I'm up a ladder. It's like you're <laughs> off your head. <laughs> so um, it's just like an inbuilt thing, I guess. Okay. I get but, bored and think, well, well, I'll fix it now. We've talked a lot about the bit about the past, bit about the present. What about the future? So, in, if you look forward ten years, should we say what mm -hmm. does what does Spectrum Group look like? Okay, mind? Um, we talked about this yesterday with somebody, and um, I see digital overtaking print, and I'm saying that to do two things. One is to challenge you to do it, and one is to challenge Lee and Graham to make it not happen, <laughs> so that they both go up. But no, I. People have been saying print is dead for as long as I can remember. So I'll probably heard it at the ground the kitchen table, as you said. Print is dead and Yeah, the paperless uh, office, paperless office. term has been kicked around since the fifties, which is exactly. quite nuts. Mm. If you yeah. actually look at if you Google there. that, that's like <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll remember. Yeah. Um, oh, cheap shot. <laughs> um but yeah, that's been said for a long time. I think the I think it's obviously whatever the end is is probably, is by definition, getting nearer. Mm. Um, and print volumes are in decline. My sort of other, I guess my other reason for wanting people back in the office is I want customers back in the office as well. Mm. Because customers back in the office means more print volume as well. So print volumes have been in decline that COVID has absolutely accelerated. On the flip side, um, the, the world's emphasis on data, funnily enough, if you read some of the research in the managed print uh, sector, it says that as more people have access to data, the more they print it off, which mm. so is unusual. So, mm. you know, I can get this huge volume of data. What am I going to do with it? Well, I'll print off a thing that thick. So <laughs> there's some future to print. Print isn't going away anytime soon. And as I said earlier, I think its trajectory is upwards, but it's going to be a hell of a hard job 
and it's going to cost a lot of money through acquisition in order to to do that. So I see Spectrum Print growing um, at, a, at a certain rate, but because of the trajectory of digital, it will catch it up within the next, I like to think, three to five years. So that in 10 years time, digital is our bread and butter and our strong heritage and print division is still thriving and going strong. Growth through acquisition has been a, a reasonably new thing for us, hasn't mm. it? Though? So you mentioned we're nearly up to yeah, 40 years next year in business, but probably, was it five years maybe? The last, yeah, we did a couple of acquisitions. We did in two, or Spectrum did two donkey's years ago. Ah, okay. Um, I remember one in Lincoln. Right. I must have probably been 10, so it's ages ago. Mm, right. Um, so two in 35 years and hopefully four or five in four mm. or five years. So, mm. yeah, we have ramped it up a bit in terms of... Um, That's obviously been a conscious decision by the board to say, actually, yeah, this is, this is the route. And do you find, I mean, again, yeah, in terms of print dealerships locally, nationally, do you think there's maybe been companies that have been affected by COVID that just think, do you know what? I've had enough. We've been doing it 30 years. Like you say, we've had the golden years as such. And yeah. we'll just hang, we'll just retire now and we'll, we'll hang, hang up the boots. Yeah, there, not many. I'd say diversified in the way that we did, as I talked about earlier, when we recognised this shift and thought we were going to need to do something slightly different. Um, and so there are some what you would class as traditional copier dealers. There's hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, and local I recognised that they were not a bad target for us for acquisition. Mm. And those are some of the ones. They're the type of characteristics they had that I wrote to. Um, directors that have done incredibly well from what is a great industry and it's served them well. But COVID's come along. It's made them have a rethink. Maybe they want to cash out a bit earlier. All mm. this kind of thing. So... In a way, it's presented opportunity for us with regards to acquisition targets. Interesting. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Rob. I think we'll we'll leave it there, but thank you very much for taking time All to right, join no, us. Thanks for having me. I was waiting for my invite for about four months. So <laughs> <laughs> glad I finally got it. So we, we couldn't get Ken in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, all. <laughs>